All right, good morning, everybody. Like I said, uh, I think it was last week, it's been kind of cool uh, the past couple of weeks just seeing some of you who haven't necessarily felt comfortable coming back or haven't come back, seeing some people we used to remember from nine months ago uh, showing up, and um, it's been cool today. There's some folks I haven't yet met showing up, uh, perhaps for the first time, I don't know, but my name's Peter, um, and I'm glad that you guys are here, glad that you folks are, are online. Um, you know, we continue to be aware of the fact that some of you, for health reasons, don't feel comfortable coming back. Um, because I'm your pastor, I'll just say this for the online listeners. If you're checking, if you're online, because you're like, yeah, you know what, man? It's just too much work to take a shower, right? Um, <clears throat> I, I just want to challenge you. There's, there's, again, if you're home because you have health reasons or health concerns, I get that. Um, but life can be pretty convenient sometimes, and not trying to guilt you. I'm just saying there's something about being together in a room of people, singing together and uh, worshiping together. I'd love for you to re-engage in that. So just a little plug there. One of the things we, we've really worked hard, I'm going to just do a little more announcements up front than normally if you're here for the first time, because I want to point out something. But one of the things we've really tried hard to do as a staff and leadership team through this whole COVID situation is kind of this priority of continuing to deliver Bible with as, as clearly and as well as we can through different environments, through online forms and our different ministries. And then as we look to this fall, one of the things we've wanted to do is really work hard to connect and engage each other, to connect and engage each other. And again, like I said, I know there's different groups. There's some who are here. You feel comfortable coming here. We have, do have this whole group who, because of health reasons and at-risk uh, demographics, they're, they've said they're just not going to come back until uh, there's a vaccine. There's another whole group that they don't like to wear masks. And so a bunch of you have said you're not coming back as long as you wear your mask. And our heart is, no matter which bucket people are in, we really want to connect. We really want to engage. And so we've worked to do that. We've tried some different things that aren't typical Sunday mornings, like a dinner worship night event to grab some folks who wouldn't necessarily come to this. We're excited that later today, like Brandon said, we get to connect as a church community through uh, the Lord's Supper, through communion. We're excited that next week we get to hear and engage and connect with folks whose lives God's working in through baby dedications and baptisms. God's work in people's lives hasn't stopped because of pandemic. And we get to celebrate that together. And so one thing we want to do, one opportunity I want to put out to us as a church is something that we've done um, for a long time now, but here's an opportunity for you to connect and engage with us as a leadership team and as a church together in something we want to do to serve our community. Trunk or treat? <clears throat> Sounds like a game show. I, I, I realized that the first. Welcome to another exciting edition of Trunk or Treat. I'm your host, Peter Schmidt. But it's not a game show. Instead of being a game show, 15 years ago, this will be the 15th year, 15 years ago, before I was even in this place, Man, a group of pastors and leaders are, are continuing to think about how do we serve Trumbull and the surrounding communities well. And so 15 years ago, the thought was, you know what, we want to create a space for families to come, for people to come who maybe have never set foot on our campus before. We can just tangibly show them God's love. And so we created this deal 15 years ago where a bunch of people at our church would make trunks. Uh, you know, hundreds of families and kids would come and walk around and get candy. And it's a great event. And over the years, our team and, and student ministry team and Kids Life team have just built it up. And we are, man, we've, we've got hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds and hundreds of hundred families coming. It's not about the numbers. It's about, man, a great way to connect and show God's love to people. And so we've really wrestled this year about, man, it's different, right? And so we, do we do it? Do we not do it? We've waited till kind of the phase three opening, saw what this is. And so what we as a team uh, this past 
kind of nailed the trick, nailed the trigger. That's like mixing metaphors. What we've decided to do is we're going to go ahead and do it, right? Because we don't want to pull out from the body life of our church a way to serve families and to show Jesus' love to them. This year, a few details, it's going to be a little different. It's going to be a drive-through event. Participants are going to stay in their cars at the end of the night. Uh, they're not going to get out of their cars. At the end of the night, they're going to get a bag of candy. If you've ever been to a trunk or treat or seen it on a normal trunk or treat, when people come out of your cars, traffic's backed up on the merit. So this is going to, if people show up, it's going to be just a traffic awesome thing. So what we did is we love the town, and so we've checked with the police department about is this going to cause chaos. They're on board with it. Health department's on board with it. So we're going to go for it. But here's the deal. In order to serve our community, this is a way that we need you to connect and to engage with us. So let me tell you four opportunities for you to partner with us as we show God's love and connect together as a church to do this. The first is this. Uh, We need candy. Ain't no kid wants a Calvary logo pen in their bag at the end of the night, okay? And this is not pastoral exaggeration. We need thousands of pieces of candy, okay? Thousands. And so great opportunities for you to drop off candy. This is, we're going to send an email out tomorrow with more of this information. But one opportunity is for you to drop off candy throughout this week, uh, which can all be pre-boxed by our team or by some of you. Another opportunity is this. Maybe some of you are like, ah, I don't want to go to ShopRite, get candy. We're going to create a way for you to donate some funds so that we can go buy candy at a bulk rate. So first thing, opportunity is candy. Second opportunity is this. Maybe you're like, ah, candy's bad for kids. It rots their teeth. I don't want to be part of that evil in the world. Whatever. But here's an opportunity for you to be with us. Jimmy T and the Kids Life team are going to create Pumpkin Alley. And so part of the way that the people are going to drive through are there going to be all these smiling, happy pumpkins with candles in them. We would love for you and your family or if you're a single, man, can you carve a couple pumpkins and bring that to us? Another opportunity, we're going to have a place for some, a few decorated cars, some trunks if you want to do that. And then kind of the fourth way to serve is this, that we're going to need some people. We're going to need some people beforehand to help set this up, some people to help navigate traffic along with the police department, right? Some people to help tear this down, some people with gloves and masks to hand out some items at the end of the night. So we will not be able to do this without each other. We won't. And so this is a great opportunity for us as a church to come together to press into this, okay? And so four opportunities, an email will go out tomorrow with more things, but some candy, opportunity to decorate a pumpkin, to decorate your car, or to help serve either before, during, or after the event, okay? So we're excited about it, and we're excited about a way that, again, it gives some people in our church a way to connect and engage. Maybe you've been online the whole time, but it's a way you can grab some candy and drop it off, and so, so we're looking forward to that. So you did not show up to hear me pitch my new game show theme of Trunk or Treat, okay? Uh, part of why you showed up, hopefully, is to hear what God has for us this morning, and he does have something. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to jump into what what God has for us. Father, um, thank you for another opportunity to come to your word. And uh, I know you have things for us. And there's nothing that I have to offer to anybody. um, But it's from you. And so I pray that really your spirit will work through your text. And you've preserved it for us. And the word is still alive today and still applies today. And so please work through your spirit in our midst for the glory of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. Here's what we do at Calvary, if you've been part of us and if you're newer. We open up a book of the Bible, and we walk through it paragraph through paragraph. A long time ago, we opened up a letter written by a pastor to a church in Ephesus. The letter is called Ephesians, 
And we've been in this for uh, many, many, you know, a bunch of months. We're going to continue this until Thanksgiving, and then we'll have a Thanksgiving service, and our Christmas series will kick off. But today in Ephesians, we're kind of three-quarters of the way through the book, and we're starting a new section. And today we're starting this new section that has to do with the topic of family. And over the next three weeks, we're going to think about issues relating to family. What roles, what opportunities do husbands have? What roles, what opportunities do wives have? What does God expect of kids in a family? What does God expect of, of parents in a family? And I think that this, uh, this discussion is timely. Because you know what, throughout COVID, as part of the whole deal, man, a lot of families have spent a lot of time together. And for many families, they've spent more time contained in the same space than they ever have before. And, and there's been good and there's been bad of that, right? For some people, I know we, we kicked off our community group this week and a bunch of us guys sat on a fire pit and talked about what's COVID been like. And for some of the dads, for some of the husbands, they've said, man, you know what? This time with my family has been rich. It's been meaningful. It's been time I wouldn't have had normally. For some of you, if you're in a family unit, there's been good things about it. But the reality is this, that for other families, the past other couples, other marriages, the past eight or nine months being together in the same space <clears throat> has kind of been this, this crockpot. If there's been some tension, it's really just kind of caused it to, to simmer and to start to bubble up. And for some husbands, for some wives, for some parents, for some kids who went into COVID with underlying conflict and tension and disagreement, this whole thing has just been a a microwave, a crockpot that has just caused that conflict and that tension to raise and increase. And so no matter where you are in that spectrum, we have an opportunity the next three weeks just to think about some of these things. And I guess as we do, I'd just start off by asking for those of you who are in a family, for those of you who are parents, for those of you who are married, well, what's, what's your marriage like today? Is your marriage the strongest it's ever been? Or is it just being tied together by a little thread about to burst? Kids, how's your relationship with your parents? Are you grateful for them? Are you humbled by them? Are you just like, man, I cannot wait to graduate from high school and get out of this house? Parents, how's it going raising your kids for three weeks? We're going to kind of think about those things. And it's an opportunity for those of us who are in those relationships. And I know not everybody is. I know the people here are people listening some people are single, whether that's because of divorce or widowed or never married. Some people don't have kids, and so maybe this is for you one day, someday, if your situation changes. Or maybe it's for you because you have a friend who's in a marriage or a parent. And, and this isn't specifically just for you, but this is a way for you to share that information with them. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to think about and what we're going to talk about is maybe there's some areas in your life where there's some strong things in your marriage and parenting, and this is a chance to build upon them. Or maybe there's some areas that need some work, and this is an opportunity for us together as a community to build upon those areas of work. Our text for the next three weeks is going to be Ephesians chapter 5, verse starting in 21, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 6, verse 4. We're not going to do that today, but uh, that's going to be our text. So we're going to hit three different relationships. We're going to hit it in an order different than the text. We're going to start off with husbands, and then next week is baptism and baby dedication. So we're going to do kids and parents. Doesn't that just seem to make sense? And then our third week will be wives, right? Wives, roles, wives, opportunities. So before we get into those specifics today, let's kind of let's launch out of where we ended last week, because there's this broad, overarching umbrella for all those relationships, for parents, 
for wives, for husbands' wives. And so here's where we ended last week. It was this charge that Paul gave, God inspired. Paul gave it to every single Christian. And to every single Christian, he tells them how to act towards another Christian. And he says this in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another, we said it's this idea of voluntarily placing yourself underneath somebody else. What that causes is you to elevate somebody else. You make another Christian more important than you and you think about them, right? We, we unpack that. But the application for marriages is this, that if you're a Christian in a marriage, as a husband and as a wife, as a Christian, there's this general umbrella where you're to submit to one another. And I know that some of you know this passage, you're like, whoa, 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 wives are to submit. Okay, we'll talk about that. But before we get there, there's this umbrella command where Paul says to all Christians, which means spouses who are Christians, mutually submit to one another. Spouses as Christians, mutually put yourself under the other person. The flip of that is spouses. Elevate your spouse above yourself. As we go into these thoughts about marriage, the broad umbrella instruction for spouses, both husbands and wives, is as a Christian spouse, elevate the other person above yourself. If you're married today, how well are you doing that? How well are you putting your spouse above you? Maybe there's conflict in your marriage because you've had an expectation of what that person should do and how that person should act. And, and maybe that expectation has never been spoken. But for the past days or the past weeks or the past months or the past years, what you've been thinking about is, whoa, 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 I got into this marriage and I expected this of them. And they're not living up to their expectation. I expected them to treat me this way and they're not doing it. Or maybe there's conflict in your marriage because instead of elevating your spouse above yourself, you're keeping score. You ever keep score in your marriage? Don't have to raise your hand. I'm sure right now one spouse has just elbowed the other or thrown a pen to him, right? Keeping score. Oh my goodness. I, I have changed diapers for the past 10 days in a row. They haven't changed a single diaper. I've emptied this dishwasher for the past 42 weeks. They haven't. And you're keeping score. And on your scorecard, instead of thinking about how you can continue to serve them, what you're thinking about is all the ways they're not serving you and how they're not, their score hasn't risen to the level of what you're doing for them, and you're getting angry. And you're getting bitter. Because your focus has become, I've done all this for them. This is all that they haven't done for me. And maybe there's conflict. It's not about keeping score in a marriage. It's not about what I want my spouse to do for me and all the ways they're failing to do that for me and why I'm doing so much more. It's about not counting what your spouse is doing for you, but according to God, thinking about how can I elevate my spouse? How can I make them above me and serve them and love them and prioritize them? And in order to do that, to steal a line from my father-in-law, you know what each spouse has to be? I have to be a student of the other. 
and think what makes them tick? What helps them? What causes them to feel valued? Paul starts with this idea that every spouse has to elevate the other spouse above the other. And then he presses into specifics for husbands about specifically how husbands do that and wives specifically what it looks like to elevate your husband above yourself. We're going to start with husbands. And so here's the specific for husbands about how we can elevate our wives. What does it mean to do that? And he tells us in verse 25, and he says this, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives, if you're a husband in the room today, or you're a husband-to-be, then you know what God wants you to be doing? He wants you to love your wife. Two big thoughts on this. The, the first big thought on this is in a few weeks, we're going to talk about roles, right? What does the Bible say about husbands and wives? Two people of equal value and equal worth who have different roles. And we're going to talk about those roles next week or a couple weeks. Here's a spoiler alert, ready? If you've never heard this, if you've never, we're going to see that the husband's role is to lead. Part of the way the husband, his role is to lead his family. But here's the reality this morning, right? And some of you know that. Some of you are like, yeah. I'm a godly husband. I lead. I am head of my I am I am head of my home. Right? I am head of my home. And some of you husbands you are head of your home. But if you're head of the home and you don't love your wife, you failed. You failed. Because Jesus says, love your wife. And here's, guys, what we got to understand, what we got to get. We, part of how we love our family is by fulfilling our role of leading them. We love our family by leading them, but we dare not try to lead them without loving them. We love by leading, but we dare not lead without loving. And husbands, our leadership and our love go hand in hand, inextricably linked. You don't get a hall pass. Any, <clears throat> you know what? It's easy to be the boss in a house. Any jerk can boss people around. Anybody can intimidate his wife and his kids into doing what he wants. But that's not what we're called to do. Our leadership and our love go hand in hand, first umbrella. And here's the second kind of big thought as husbands were charged to love our wives as this. Every husband can love their wife. Every husband can love their wife. And here's why I say that, because I know that maybe some people here or maybe some people watching online Maybe the situation in which you grew up is different than your marriage now. And maybe you're married and you do love your wife and you guys are striving for health and you hear something like this and you think to yourself, man, I, I never had a model of this. I never had a dad who showed me what it's like to love my wife. And I don't think I can do this. I want to tell you right now, you can do this. Is it going to be a little harder? Maybe, but every guy can do this. No matter of what our story, no matter of what our background, we can do this. And God calls us to do this, and God wouldn't call us to do something that we weren't able to do. Do we need his help? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. But through his help, no matter what your past story is, husbands, you can learn and you can love your wife. Husbands, love your wives. Okay. okay, that's great. What does that mean? That we watch like a Hallmark movie and just do what the cheesy dudes do in that, right? What does it mean to love our wives? How do we love our wives? Is there a pattern for loving our wives? There is. And the very next clause tells us that pattern. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands are to love their wives, and Jesus' love is the pattern for husband's love. And every couple that I've married that I've done premarital counseling with, and there's a ton, towards our final session, I turn to the husband-to-be, and if they're a Christian, or maybe if they're not, I explain the story of Jesus, and, and then I ask this question. I say, okay, husbands, you're to love your wives as, God, as Christ loved us. The way that Christ loved you is how you're supposed to love her, and then I ask them this. What did, what did Jesus give up for you? And it's fascinating. I mean, within seconds, most everybody gets it, and they say, everything. Everything. And so the next question is this, husbands, what does it mean that you need to be willing to give up for your wife? Everything. Everything. If Jesus is the pattern for our love and Jesus gave up everything, then guys, we need to be willing to give up everything. Is there conflict in your marriage today, men? Because there's something that's important to your wife and you are unwilling to even consider giving up what you want for what she wants. No, I mean, I know she wants that, but man, I have my plans. I had my dreams. I got my five year. I got my deal. I ain't giving it up. And I'm not saying that you have to give it up. Will you have to? Maybe. But maybe you're not even willing to consider and be willing to give it up. Is there conflict because you're unwilling to give up what you want for what she wants? Maybe. Maybe. Again, are there discussions to be had about the wisdom of doing that and if it's the right thing? And if that, absolutely. But sometimes, guys, we're not even willing to consider doing it. Paul knows that sometimes guys don't always pay attention the first time, right? If you're a guy, you've probably heard that. Like, <clears throat> you finally hear your wife in a passionate way be like, Will you empty the dishwasher? You're like, oh, why are you? Yes, she's like, I've said it like a hundred times, right? Sometimes, guys, we miss things, and so Paul doesn't want us to miss it. So he comes at this challenge another way. He's told us, love your wife, which means be willing to give up everything. And so in case we miss it, he comes at it from another angle in verses 28 through 29, where he says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, you'll be willing to give up everything for your wife, and you love your wife the way that you love your own body. The way you love yourself and put yourself first is what you're supposed to do for her. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. 
There's two words in there that press deeper about what it means for us to love our wives, two attitudes, two actions. Husbands, we love our wives by being willing to give up everything for her, and then we also do these two things. We are to nourish our wife, to nourish our wife. This word has the idea of providing for her needs. It has the idea of giving to something a sense of well-being, a sense of, of health, of security, of completeness. Giving to something, something that they know to continue to be strong. We nourish, we're supposed to nourish our wives. And the second thing it says we're supposed to do, guys, is cherish. Cherish our wives. The idea we cherish something, we make it feel valued. What we cherish, we take care of. <clears throat> we be careful in interactions so that we don't hurt it, right? If it's something fragile that you own, guys, right? Your new iPhone 12 or whatever, you're, you're going to be careful with that thing because you don't want that screen to chip. Or even if it's something durable, like a brand new Jeep Rubicon that's got armor-plated everything, you still want to take care of it so you don't hurt it, right? You, you value it, you be careful in your actions, and you recognize their value, and you protect that value. Guys, our opportunity is to cherish and to nourish our wives. How's that going? I've done this gig for a while now, not as long as some pastors, but longer than a whole lot of other pastors. And I've, in my third church here now, I've had a lot of, unfortunately, marriages where there's been affairs. And that's a complicated issue. It's not a simplistic thing to say what causes that. But in some of those situations, you start to hear this refrain of, a wife tell you, you know what, man, we started off and, man, first year of marriage, my, hus my husband adored me. Thought I was great. But now I'm on year six of marriage. He seems to adore the Giants and football and golf a whole lot more than me. And he devalues me and doesn't affirm me. And there's this guy at work who did. And he cherished me. And he valued me. Does that justify bad choices? No. But the reality is this, guys. It's your calling. It's your opportunity. It's your privilege. It should be your joy to cherish and to nourish your wife. Now, I'm not going to end our time here by giving you like <clears throat> 27 ways to do that. I'm not going to give you 27, so men, here's 27 ways to nourish and to cherish your wife. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. There's resources, there's conferences that are helpful. But the big reason I'm not going to do it is this, different things nourish and cherish different wives, right? Within these, these next three weeks, there's a lot of personality things, and the way we play this out is different based on our different personalities. Guys, I know to some degree what makes my wife feel nourished and my wife feel cherished. I have no idea what makes your wife feel nourished or cherished because she ain't my wife. So I don't have a laundry list for you, but what I do want you to think about is how can you cherish and nourish your wife? What does that look like for you to do that? And if you've been married for a while and you don't know, then Probably time to start figuring out. So let me give you some broad thoughts on how in your relationship or guys-to-be, what it will look like for you one day, or husbands-to-be, 
what it will look like for you to nourish and cherish your wife. Here's some broad thoughts on how you can figure that out. The first idea I have is how you can figure out as a husband to nourish and cherish your wife. Man, this is going to be easy, okay, guys? Your wife doesn't need to help you on this one. This is just for us. Here it is. What have you done in the past to make her not feel nourished and cherished? Don't do that. Simple, right? What have you done in the past that has made your wife at some moment come to you and say, hey, you know what, Bubba? When you did that, you hurt me. Or I don't appreciate it when you do that. Or I don't feel whatever that is, don't do it. Okay? Here's a thought. Maybe do the opposite of it. I love seeing all the wives write these down now. (laughs) Maybe right now do the opposite. Okay? First thing, what have you done in the past that is not valued and cherished your wife? Don't do it. Think about doing the opposite. The second thing is this. As you are trying to figure out how do I love, how do I cherish my wife, second way for you to figure that out is listen to her. Listen to her. I will bet that in the course of your dating or the course of your marriage, there have been moments when your wife has tried to tell you and my wife has tried to tell me, hey, here's what makes me feel valued. Here's what's meaningful to me. And so, guys, listen. Listen to her. And the third thing is this. If you don't know, then ask her. (laughs) Ask her. And I'm going to make it really easy for you. Ready? Um, Guys, you owe me some candy because I'm going to make this easy for you, right? Here it is. Every husband on your way home today or when you get home, Ask your wife what makes her feel nourished and cherished. I have now set it up for you, right? You can now say to your wife, I mean, baby, I know what makes you feel nourished and cherished, but Smith was up there babbling on, so he told me to ask you, and, I'm gonna, and then if you don't know, you'll get to ask her without looking like a moron, okay? Ask her. Ask her. Don't do what you've done in the past to make her feel devalued. Listen to her. And if you don't know, ask her. At some point in your life, I don't know how many years ago, you stood in front of a pastor, a priest, a justice of the peace, somebody who got like their, you know, happy sunshine officiant license from California, and you were dressed up, I don't know, maybe you had on a tux, maybe you had on casual clothes, maybe the... Your wife had on a bridal gown, maybe it was more casual, but you stood in front of each other. You stood in front of this person and you stood in front of God and husbands, you looked your wife in the eye and made a promise to love her and to honor her and to cherish her and to protect her and to forsake all others until death do you part. And man, on that day, 99.9% of you, you, man, you meant it. How's it going this day? What a privilege that we have as husbands to be able to love someone else and give to someone else and care for someone else and nourish someone else and cherish someone else. So let's do it. Maybe we haven't done it so well for the past 10 years and we can't go back and undo it. 
but we can move forward today. So if we've struggled in this area, guys, let's not let another 10 years go by or we're not doing the things that Jesus calls us to do. We do these things because we've read in the text that Jesus gave up everything for us. We're willing to give up everything for our wives because Jesus gave up everything for us. And that's not just husbands, right? That's wives, that's kids, that's single. For every single person in the world, Jesus gave up everything. Why did he give up everything? He gave up everything because he loved us. And that raises this question of, okay, well, why did he have to give up everything, right? If he loved us, why did he give up everything? Here's why Jesus gave up everything. Here's the story. The story is this, that the triune God adores you. The triune God, God knows what is best for you. And God has told all of us, hey, what is best for you is to do this. But at a moment in our life, all of us thought that we knew better than God. And in a moment in our life, we thought, well, if God's holding me back from something, I can really get it if I do it my way. And we chase that rabbit. And you know what? When we chose to do what we wanted and not what God wanted, the Bible calls that sin. And all of us, no matter what our belief system, have had people in our lives who have treated us wrong. We have had people who have committed sins against us, and it causes pain, it causes damage, it causes darkness, it causes hurt. And there's a holy God who knows the pain and the fracture and the devastation that comes from sin, and that holy God says, I, I got to punish that. A just God says it is not fair to allow that bad, wrong thing to go unpunished. But the impact of that is that means that for the sin in my life, God, just God, would have to punish that. And the Bible talks about a word that we don't hear a lot, but part of that punishment is this word of, of God's wrath. His punishment of sin and part of his punishment for sin means we're separated from the person who we most long for, even if we don't know it. The deepest satisfaction you long for is in God, even if you don't know it. And the consequence of sin is that it separates us from that. And because he loves you, what a loving God decided is, I don't want to punish them, right? And so what God decided is, and what Jesus said is, you can punish me instead. That I will be the substitute who will stand in their place and to be punished by you for them so that they don't have to be. And on a night, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus was having a meal with guys that he'd poured his life into for 33, 37 years. And he knew that in just about 72 hours, their lives were going to turn upside down. Because he knew that he was about to be arrested and murdered. And he knew that in that moment, as they watched him die, they were going to have all sorts of questions. Was it real? Is it true? Can he be trusted? But what Jesus knew as he was finishing up his dinner that night, that for those guys around him, three days later, they were going to see him again. And they were going to see him again, and it was going to validate the faith that they had. But here's what Jesus also knew, that thousands of years after that, there were going to be people who believed in him, who didn't see him, who some days were going to have doubts, and some days were going to have questions. 
And some days would have this faith, but they'd say, man, my faith, I just wish I could see him. I just wish that he would be face to face. And so what Jesus did on that night is he started something. And he gave us something. And he gave us something tangible that we could hold and that we could touch. Something earthy, something normal, something ordinary for normal, ordinary people who thousands of years later would be clinging to their faith and the belief. And he started this thing with some bread and some wine. So in the centuries after his death and resurrection, people like you and people like me could hold something and be reminded of something and say, this is what I believe. We can get beat up in our faith. And the worst thing to do is try to fake that none of us are ever beat up in our faith. And we need each other to remind each other that this is true. This is what we believe. And no matter how much our finances have changed because of COVID, no matter how much racial unrest and the stress and the sadness that comes from that, no matter how crazy our political system is, we cling to something that transcends all of that and we say there is still a king who is in charge and who is controlled. This is how we look back and we remember what Jesus did. And so the same guy who wrote this letter to the church wrote these words. And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. This is my body, which is because of your sin and for your sin, because I love you. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So as a community, I invite you to peel back the first later and together, let's take this in remembrance of Jesus. And in the same way, He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The story's not over, guys. The story's not over. And I've read the end of the story. I cheated. I read the end of the book. The end of the book is great. And one day we will experience that. So on this day, as we look to that day and we look back to the day Jesus died, we cling to the cup and we say, this is what I believe. And together, let's take the cup.